Kelimvor is the god of death and the dead. He looks to judge souls fairly once they reach his divine realm, and his clergy do much to teach about death and ease the transition from the mortal world to the next. I'm Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. Titles Kelimvor goes by the following titles Lord of the Dead, Judge of the Damned, and Master of the Crystal Spire. He has no aliases. Portfolio and Domains Kelimvor holds the portfolios of Death and the Dead. His suggested domains for 5th edition are Death and Grave. Appearance and Manifestations The most recent description of Kelimvor we have comes from the novel Crucible, The Trial of Siric the Mad. This is the final novel in the Avatar series. It should be noted that prior to this description, Kelimvor was described to look much like he did in his mortal days, a description I will touch on when I describe his avatar soon. At this point in the novel, Kelimvor has come to accept his lawful and neutral position as Judge of the Dead. Replacing his old armor, he dons a pearly cloak over top a well-worn breastplate and wears a charcoal gray hood. He covers his face with a silver death mask. His mortal green eyes are now changed to dull gray, lacking irises and pupils. His wild long black hair he turned to wispy white locks. The avatars of Kalimvor look much like they did when he was a mortal. A tanned and weathered man with a square jaw, green eyes, and a warrior's appearance. Their hair is black, wild and long, with a few gray streaks running through it. The avatar wears a mix of chainmail and leathers. Across the waist is a wide belt. Set into the front of the belt is a smooth and rounded cat-eyes jewel. These avatars will often travel to battlefields to escort the souls of warriors to the afterlife, or Kelimvor will send out his avatars to reclaim souls, wrongly condemned down in the lower outer plains. As an avatar travels, it is swathed in shadows to obscure them from mortal eyes. Kelimvor's favorite weapon is a bastard sword that he calls Fatal Touch. In 3rd edition mechanical terms, this is a plus 5 bastard sword with the ghost touch, holy and undead bane traits. In 2nd edition's faiths and avatars, the avatars of Kelimvor are said to carry a rod of bone along with a bastard sword. Out of one end of the rod, Kelimvor can cast a death effect, and out the other he can cast a death sleep effect. I will mention the specifics of these effects later. Kelimvor has one known manifestation, a translucent floating skull held within a thin, flowing, and tattered hood. As his manifestation moves, it projects a mournful, whistling sound. A real wind can emanate from this manifestation if need be. It is also capable of manifesting a skeletal arm to point, interact, hold others, or attack. This manifestation can project Kelimvor's voice for all to hear though Kelimvor rarely speaks through it. 
Rather, he prefers to use the manifestation's ability to speak telepathically to those before it. The manifestation unerringly dispels all undead or animates all corpses within 90 feet of it. It may then pass command of undead to others if need be. No mortal can disrupt the commands to undead that this manifestation dictates. Kalimvor makes use of the following creatures to communicate his approval, disapproval, or aid his mortal followers. Einhariar, whom Kalimvor turns into minor deaths when senior clergy summon them, and watch goes. But Kelmvor will never make use of any corporeal or evil undead creature. Abilities Through 2nd edition, 3rd edition, and 4th edition sources, Kelmvor was regarded as a greater power. He was immortal during the time covered by 1st edition sources and early 2nd edition sources. I feel quite certain that Kelmvor would be regarded as a greater god still in 5th edition. Kelimvor has a 3rd edition stat block in the Faiths and Pantheon supplement. I will touch on some of the abilities mentioned in this deity stat block. As a greater god, he always rolls the highest roll possible on any die roll he is required to make. Kelimvor has divine senses that allow him to extend his senses out to a distance of 16 miles, or approximately 26 kilometers. He can extend these senses out within this range from his worshippers, holy sites, objects dedicated to him, and anywhere his names or titles have been spoken in the last hour. In addition, Kelimvor can extend these senses out to a maximum of 20 different locations. He can block the divine senses of another deity of the same power level or below for a 16-hour period and in two different locations. Kelimvor has a portfolio sense that grants him the ability to foresee a death 1610 days, which equates to 160 days, before it occurs, while it occurs, and recall this event without fail 1610 days later. He can create any magical weapon or magical armor. He is also able to create any magical item that manifests a death effect, any item that can control or grant protection from undead, and any item that replicates a spell found on the reposed domain spell list. Again, some of these use 3rd edition terms. Kelimvor then has an avatar stat block in both 2nd edition's Faiths and Avatars and 3rd edition's Faiths and Pantheons. I will touch on the abilities in Faiths and Avatars, given its far greater detail. Kelimvor's avatar has access to any spell from any school of magic. Necromantic spells cast by the avatar are cast at triple their effectiveness, and creatures needing to save from one of these suffers a negative 3 penalty to set saves. His avatars will not create sentient undead creatures, though if the avatar can control any to fulfill their needs, they will do so before they end up before Kalimvor to be judged. The shadows that surround an avatar of Kalimvor make them completely invisible to mortal eyes as they stand in shadow and darkness. The shadows also grant the avatar the benefits of a cloak of displacement. I mentioned earlier the avatars carry a rod of bone with two unique effects cast out the rod's respective ends. At one end is a death effect. If a creature fails a save against this effect, they just die outright. The corpse will float in the air for two rounds held in stasis. Out of the other end is cast a deep sleep effect. 
With it, an avatar can affect a wide swath of creatures. Death sleep places creatures in a comatose-like state where all body functions pause for a day. Only the application of a remove curse and dispel magic spell in combination upon sleeping creatures is enough to wake them up preemptively. Kalimvor's avatars are unaffected by all necromancy spells and abilities. With ease, the avatar unfailingly commands any unintelligent undead in front of them, while an avatar destroys such undead with a mere thought. Sentient undead must try to resist an avatar's touch with a substantial penalty to the role or be destroyed. Personal History Kalimvor stands as the current Lord of the Dead. Before him, we know of three others who held this role. Jurgle for millennia, Mercule, who claimed this position not too long after the fall of Netheril, then Sirik, who came to this position after Mercule's death and returning the Tablets of Fate to Eo at the end of the Time of Troubles. Finally, Kalimvor took this position from Sirik after Sirik's short reign. But before Kalimvor attained godhood, he was immortal upon the surface of Faerun. He was born Kalimvor Lionsbane. While born into a noble family, Kalimvor was afflicted with the same curse that ran through his familial bloodline for generations. When a given Lionsbane performed an act of kindness, the individual was cursed to turn into a violent black panther. Kalimvor was the youngest child in his family though his mother died at childbirth, something Kalimvor's father blamed him for happening. He came from a line of warriors. Kalimvor's father was a warrior sidelined by an injury of his own causing. His three older brothers were accomplished warriors elsewhere. Kalimvor first showed an appreciation for the arts, which rankled his father. His father got rid of his teacher, had her beat near to death, and ensured his son learned the ways of war and battle. Kalimvor was quick to pick up on fighting techniques, motivated by the desire to strike down his own father. In his teens, Kalimvor began a relationship with a young woman, but his father found out. Kalimvor found his father beating his young partner, which awakened the panther within him for the first time. He tore down both his father and his father's guards as he escaped into a nearby forest with his young love. Kalimvor was stuck in panther form for a few months until he reverted. As luck would have it, his uncle was in the midst of searching for his nephew. Kalimvor's uncle was a much better man of kinder disposition and took in Kalimvor with little thought to what transpired between the boy and his father. His uncle was well aware just how terrible his father was. Kalimvor's uncle was the leader of a mercenary company and thus Kalimvor found his way into mercenary life. While he could be wounded by mundane weapons, his lycanthropy granted him a significant degree of resistance to such wounds. Kalimvor's past would catch up with him as one of his brothers arrived with his own company and cut down all of his uncle's company. Kalimvor was saved since he was coincidentally late to show. Kalimvor's panther form would burgeon forth once again as he killed his own brother and many warriors while the rest fled. From there, Kalimvor would end up shifting from mercenary company to mercenary company, never satisfied with the life he was leading. Eventually, he turned away from being a mercenary and attempts to find some other sort of meaning in his life. As circumstance would have it, 
Kelvinvor would end up in an adventuring band with three other key mortals as the Time of Troubles began in 1358 Dale Reckoning. The thief Sirik, the wizard Midnight, and the cleric Adon. During their adventures, Midnight and Kelvinvor became a romantic couple. Sirik and Midnight, who became the new Mistra, became deities after the Tablets of Fate were returned to Eo. Upon the top of Blackstaff Tower in Waterdeep, Sirik would drive the sword Godsbane through Kelvinvor's back. The thing is, Mask had other things in store for Kelvinvor. Rather than his soul making its way to the afterlife for judgment, Godsbane, the avatar form of Mask, trapped Kelvinvor's soul within itself. Godsbane did not take kindly to Sirik's earlier attempts to destroy it. So it knew Kelvinvor's soul would be priceless to Sirik and trapped the warrior's soul out of spite. After Sirik's ascension, he was angered that Kelvinvor's soul had not manifested in the City of the Dead. Though Sirik would be loath to mention it, the fact that Kelvinvor's soul was unaccounted for unnerved him. Ten years on, as Lord of the Dead, Sirik would enlist the abilities of Kezif the Chaos Hound, one of the elder eternal evils to sniff out Kelvinvor's soul. Meanwhile, Kelvinvor's soul suffered the boredom and monotony of imprisonment within God's Bane. God's Bane did not make things painful for Kelvinvor. Rather, he was left to a white, featureless void. Despite all this, Kelvinvor was able to remain sane. But he was still prodded by God's Bane from time to time. In 1368 Dale Reckoning, Kelvinvor would be freed from the imprisonment of God's Bane. Sirik went mad after reading his own powerful book known as the Srinishad, a tome designed to make even gods who read it become a devout follower of Sirik. Sirik would be turned insane with unquestioned belief in his own power and right to rule. At this time, Sirik would learn that Godsbane had claimed Kelvinvor's soul, and Sirik sundered the sword in anger. Since Sirik destroyed Godsbane, he delivered a powerful blow to Mask and stole away the portfolio of intrigue. At this time, Sirik's realm was being assaulted by a revolt by those residents of the City of the Dead. Now freed, Kelvinvor would take the City of the Dead out from under the afflicted Sirik. Kelvinvor picked up the broken Godsbane and stabbed Sirik. Sirik was deeply wounded by the sword and made his escape elsewhere. With the revolt successful, the host named Kelvinvor the new Lord of the Dead, and Eo ratified this change. Kelvinvor reshaped Sirik's bone castle into a realm to his own choosing and preferences, the crystal spire and the heart of the city of the dead. A couple years past those events, now in 1371 Dale Reckoning, Sirik was called a Sinosure to defend his inability to maintain his portfolios thanks to Mask's machinations. While Sirik had been failing in his responsibilities, he was able to convince the council of other deities that he was to be on trial, so too should be Mistra and Kelvinvor. Rather than be impartial, Kelvinvor and Mistra had been favoring the good peoples of Faerun. Thus they were charged with the inability of maintaining their respective portfolios and roles in the Pantheon. Meanwhile, the Shurnashad plot was still at hand down on Faerun. Kelvinvor saw the error of his ways and adopted a new persona as a neutral lord of death, wearing no emotion. Mistra was alarmed and did not like Kelvinvor's new persona 
Mistra and Kelnvor both ended their romantic relationship at this time, though it would seem the two still maintain some alliance. Sirik, Mistra, and Kelnvor would later come to trial. Mistra had a new perspective on remaining impartial and deciding who had access to her weave. The charges would be dropped against Mistra and Kelnvor. Both were able to convince the assembled deities that they now knew their place and responsibility in maintaining the balance and operating within only their portfolios. As the years have progressed since Kelnvor's new outlook and perspective, it has become agreeable to Jurgol, the Seneschal of Lord of the Dead. Personality Kelnvor is a lawful neutral god. Formerly, Kelnvor was a man of little thought and easy action. He was considered gruff. Though Kelnvor chose to keep his real issues inside, hidden by a tough exterior, always unable to act selflessly as his curse would manifest otherwise. Now in his role as Lord of the Dead, while he deliberates over souls, he is fair and just holding no favorites and boding no ill will. His goal is to ensure that each soul unclaimed by a deity or entity arise where it is most deserving. While rigid, Kalimvar attempts to be earnest and forthright. Some may even say he still can be kind from time to time. Not known for his wisdom and foresight, he may still be prone to direct action without analyzing many of the consequences. Kalimvar disdains the undead as he sees these creatures as a perversion of both life and death, though admittedly Kalimvar has had to learn not all undead deserve his ire for a small few exist for non-evil reasons and for reasons beyond their control. Personal Realms Usually I start this section by saying in the Great Wheel cosmological model used in 1st edition, 2nd edition, and is the assumed default model for 5th edition, but Kelmvor stands in a unique position. Kelmvor wasn't yet a god in 1st edition. Come 2nd edition after his ascension, his divine realm, known as the Crystal Spire, was placed on the first layer of Hades, known as Oinos. Hades is the neutral evil outer plane of existence. It may also be referred to as the Great Waste or Great Waste of Hades. Hades is known by some to be the evilest of the planes, but you would not know it just by reading about its physical description. It is a plane that drains the color out of all things to some shade of gray and drains the meaning out of life for all mortals who come there. Eventually, apathy sets in, and an individual begins to have no regard for the actions they commit towards others. Those who stay here for too long lose their sense of self and become unwilling to leave. With enough time, mortals turn into larvae, alongside those evil souls who formed here after dying on the prime material. The river Styx passes through the uppermost layer of Oinos, and it is here that the river Styx is at its midpoint as it winds its way through the lower outer plains. Oinos is a constant battleground for the blood war between demons and devils, due to the eons of this conflict. It is a layer filled with stunted trees and plants. It is mostly flat, save for the occasional jagged hill along the horizon. Here a disease known as the wasting sickness or the graze is ever-present. It drains an individual very slowly. 
It will only kill a person after they have become so debilitated to the point of being incapable of fighting back. The sky of Hades holds no celestial bodies and is nothing but a gray expanse that only darkens and lightens. Kalimvor's realm, called the Crystal Spire, towers over the City of the Dead, which also may be referred to as the City of Judgment. It is described as a towering minaret made of smoky topaz, located deep inside the city. The Crystal Spire stands to represent Kalimvor's transparency in decision and action, compared to the hidden actions of his predecessor. The souls waiting for judgment are arranged in a line leading into the Crystal Spire. Human souls in the city may wander aimlessly, unawares that they are even deceased. Servants from many deities come to this city with Kelmvor's permission to collect those souls who have a rightful place with a deity or entity elsewhere among the plains. Some souls remain here after receiving Kelmvor's judgment. They serve as guides for newly arrived souls. Some souls Kalimvor judges to be undeserving of no other fate than transformation into larvae and cast aside. For those who never professed any faith or falsely proclaimed to worship a deity, their soul receives the fate of being made a part of the wall of the faithless. The wall surrounds the city of the dead, and it is here that the souls mortared within the wall slowly dissolve just before becoming part of the wall itself. It is worth noting that while the information surrounding the Wall of the Faithless was initially published in Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide for 5th edition, it was later errated out. You can make of that what you will. I've never come across a member of the creative team addressing this decision. The false are those souls that turn their back on the deity over the course of their life, who now wander the city of the dead endlessly as a form of punishment. For a few years after taking up the mantle of Lord of the Dead, Kalimvor had divided the City of the Dead up into different districts. Each of these districts was home to those souls of a given occupation and or disposition. Given his leaning towards good at this time, those who lived good lives lived in districts that were comfortable and much to their liking. Those who had not found themselves in violent or poor districts in punishment. The City of Dead was also alive with color in deep contrast to the rest of Hades that surrounded it. As Kalimvor realized that in order to function properly as Lord of the Dead, he was to be fair to all. Thus he made the necessary changes to reflect this in the city. All were given equal quarter and comfort. All color was drained out of the city of the dead as it was turned into a muted gray. At the same time, Kalimvor made sure to illuminate the city with a dull glow that did not create any shadow. No color or shadow was to ever grace the streets of the City of Dead. In the World Tree cosmological model used for 3rd edition Forgotten Realms, Kalimvor resides on the Fugue Plane. As far as I'm aware, the Fugue Plane was a 3rd edition creation. It has since been carried forward into 5th edition, despite the two cosmological model changes, both in 4th edition and now with the reversion back to the Great Wheel in 5th edition. The Fugue Plane is its own separate entity in the cosmology of the planes. I honestly don't know whether to classify it as a demiplane, or something else entirely. Human souls come to the Fugue Plane when they die, 
but those souls cannot then leave on their own. The servants of the many deities have permission to travel from their respective planes into the fugue plane to make contact with and bring back faithful petitioners to their respective patron deities. The city of the dead is just a portion of the fugue plane, and much like on Hades, the crystal spire towers above the city right in its center. The features of the City of Judgment are the same as I have mentioned before, flat, gray, dull, and lacking in any change in elevation. The petitioners of Jurgle and Kelmvor come to reside in the city, in service to their patron deities. One of their primary duties is distributing punishments upon the falls. Those falls, whose sentences are lighter, act as informants telling of unusual visitors to the city, or serving as an escort for devils. Those falls with heavier punishments are said to experience some of the cruelest punishments that may shock even demons. Kelmvor has an agreement with the Nine Hells. A small collection of devils are allowed residence in the city, where they can torment the falls. They also aid the Kelmvorites in fighting demons. Demons will open portals into the fugue plane from the abyss. They will raid through the city of the dead, stealing souls from the wall of the faithless and elsewhere in the city, until they are turned back. Often Kelmvor does not retaliate. Though there have been instances where the demons have been far too greedy and their attacks too frequent. Kelmvor will see to it that the defenses of the city are shored up, or he will order a small campaign into the abyss to bring a demon lord down a peg or two. Any soul Kelmvor has made a judgment on cannot be resurrected short of three specific methods, through a miracle spell, a wish spell, or a deity stepping up to call back the soul. That last action almost certainly will require some sort of discussion to happen between the deity and Kelmvor before Kelmvor allows it. Now, someone in the past asked Ed Greenwood about whether Kelmvor judges all souls which leave Faerun, or just the souls of humans who worship members of the Faerunian pantheon. Ed explains that Kelmvorite clergy like to espouse that Kelmvor is the judge of all, but in reality, that is not the truth. Non-humans are judged in their own way. Mulhorandi human souls who worship their respective pantheon aren't touched by Kelmvor. And even still, some souls never make it to the city of the dead to be judged at all, and are left to wander. The situation is not as cut and dry as Kelmvorites make it seem to be. Within the 4th edition World Access Cosmological Model, Kelmvor still resides in his dominion of the Fugue Plane. Rather than be its own separate entity, the Fugue Plane is considered to be just another dominion out among the Astral Sea with the rest of the other gods' own dominions. Otherwise, what small details are described about the Fugue Plane are much the same as those described in 3rd edition. Allies and Allegiances Though former lovers, Kelmvor and Mistra still remain on friendly enough terms to be considered allies. Jurgle is seneschal to the position of Lord of the Dead, rather than to whomever holds it. Still, Jurgle has welcomed the change in process and outlook Kelmvor has brought to the role, enough to the point that they consider each other allies. 
Kelnvor reached out to Lathander early on in his godhood to form an alliance. Despite what may seem to be conflicting personalities, the two formed an alliance over their strong disdain for undead. Outside of the Faerunian pantheon, Kelnvor is allied with a few powers tied to the protection of the dead and abhorrence of the undead, or at least evil undead in the case of Sianine Moonbow. Sagogen Earthcaller, known god of death and the dead, Sianine Moonbow, elven goddess of the moon, dreams, and death, among other portfolios. Sirolili, halfling goddess of hospitality and fellowship. And Urogalan, halfling demigod of earth and protection of the dead. Enemies. One of Kalimvor's foes is obviously Siric. Siric loathes Kalimvor for several reasons. Mainly, in Siric's eyes, Kalimvor stole the title of Lord of the Dead from him. Siric followers hampered the aims of the Kalimvorite faith with necromantic practices and disrespect of the dead. Kalimvor holds Velsharun, the demigod of necromancy, as an enemy. Finally, Kelnvor holds Talona as a foe for the plagues and disease she embodies and spreads. Outside of the Faerunian pantheon, Kelnvor is enemy to Kirinsali, the drow goddess of undeath. Symbols Kelnvor's faith has one known holy symbol. A skeletal arm clutching a set of balanced gold scales. These gold scales are referred to as Scales of Justice. Central Dogma From Faiths and Pantheons, a 3rd edition supplement. Quote, Recognize that death is part of life. It is not an ending, but a beginning. Not a punishment, but a necessity. Death is an orderly process without deceit, concealment, and randomness. Help others die with dignity, at their appointed time, and no sooner. Speak against those who would artificially prolong their life beyond natural limits, such as the undead. Do honor to the dead, for their strivings and their life brought Faerun to where it is now. Forgetting them is to forget where we are now, and why. Let no human in all Faerun die a natural death, without one of Kalimvor's clerics at their side. End quote. Presence of the Faith Kalimvor's clerics tend to hold an alignment of lawful evil, lawful neutral, or lawful good. He is worshipped mostly by those in their last stages of life, grave diggers, those who hunt undead, morticians, and mourners. Adventurers might receive a call to action from the Kalimvorite faith. Kalimvorites are known to call crusades to go out and do battle with an undead foe or those who have struck down far too many people recently. The dominant personality of the Kalimvorite faith is taciturn with the occasional dour individual among their number. Recruits to the Kalimvorite faith usually come from those communities afflicted by the undead or some even join up after dying themselves. The treatment they received from the Kalimvorites just before their passing was such a touching experience 
that these recently resurrected individuals are inspired to become a columvirate themselves. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy Members of the columvirate faith may be referred to as doom guides. Across the columvirate faith, there are many who exclusively administer and advise to the common folk on all things death and passing on into the afterlife. Then there are the members who exclusively are the enemy of necromancy and undead creatures. Still, you will find many columvirites who existed between those two perspectives. In a relative short time, the title of Lord of the Dead transferred hands two times. First, it passed into Cyric's hands from Mercule. Ten years later, Calamvor would usurp this seat from Cyric. As such, clergy had to adjust or leave over all those years. Many who held Cyric as a patron would adjust to Calamvor's new perspective, some shifting toward a neutral alignment, others still remaining evil but faithful nonetheless. Others, of course, chose to move on to a deity more fitting to their views. Over on Twitter, someone asked Ed Greenwood about white necromancy in the realms. Now, I'm not going to go off on a tangent and talk about white necromancy. If you're interested, the whole concept is discussed in the second edition product, The Complete Book of Necromancers. Ed explains there are some white necromancers in Kelvin's faith, and Jurgle's faith as well. They act as temple wardens, tend to graveyards, and protect the clergy. Responsibilities and Duties of the Faithful Kalemvarites are deeply involved in the events around a person's last days on Faerun. They conduct palliative care and tend to the deceased and their families with calm. They help conduct several of the administrative duties, such as enacting wills, arranging funerals, burials, cremations, and generally making sure the deceased's affairs are in order. The clergy will carry out funeral ceremonies for those lacking the necessary coin. Specific columvirites are assigned the duty of watching their peers. They are to halt any member of the faith growing attached to the dying who may be tempted to prolong a dying individual's life. Another hard responsibility for the faith is to know when a quick death is required in the case of terminal injury, mutilation, disease, and the like and the deed, if you will, is to be carried out by the Columvirite themselves. The faith claims the property and funds of those with no will and no living heirs to fund their places of worship and functions. Still a sizable amount of their financial backing come from land, funds, objects, etc. bequeathed to them after an individual passes on. Columvirites are relentless hunters of the undead. They are allowed to bring along any clergy from allied faiths who are like-minded in this pursuit. Any knowledge speaking to the creation of undead is destroyed without hesitation. While this clearly puts them at odds with those faiths and practitioners who espouse the power of necromancy, it also puts the columvirites at odds with the faiths of Denir and Ogma, who collect and archive knowledge of all sorts. Now those in the know are aware that not every undead out there are evil. Someone asked Ed Greenwood how Calumvor feels about Bale Norns. Bale Norns being the elven lich guardians of elven tombs and vaults with the backing of the Seldarine, or the elven pantheon. 
Essentially, Ed explains that the Columvarites don't discuss them and leave them alone under Kalimvor's direct instruction. Columvarites mark the sites of plague and disease to warn others. They also tend to those afflicted with disease. They espouse the need for others to serve the deities they revere in truth and dedication. Through this, they can hope to find a place in the care of their patron deity after they die. Death is just a stage of transition into a new state of existence. There is a strong emphasis on getting this message to the common people of Faerun. If an area is beset by a monster or monsters, causing far too much death, any local Kalemvarites will try to draw the attention of adventurers to the area to deal with the threat. Barring no adventuring band's participation, it falls to the local Kalemvarites to deal with the threat. Some Kalemvarites receive a calling from Kalemvor directly or are tasked by their senior members to take up the adventuring life going on quests. These quests are centered around eradicating plague or going after those practicing necromancy at differing scales. Such columvirites are provided with scrolls and weapons by the respective place of worship to better ensure their success. Orders and Priestly Bodies In 3rd edition at least, dune guides were considered their own separate order in the columvirite faith. Not just a, another term you could use to describe a Kelimvor clergy member. Doom guides endeavored to be balanced in their duties as a member of the faith, both being advisors and guides for those inquiring or dealing with death, and on the other hand remained vigilant warriors against necromancy and undead. Doom guides were independent of any temple or shrine. Rather, they served as itinerant intermediaries between Kelimvorite places of worship delivering news and items. They spread and enact the teachings of Kelimvor as they move across Faerun. The most solemn order of the Silent Shroud is an order of gravediggers, morticians, and any other cemetery workers who are devout Kelimvorites and not clergy. Members of this order acknowledge and identify one another with their own secret signs. They pass along any reports or observations of gravesites being desecrated were uprooted. The Knights of the Eternal Order is a Columvirite paladin order. They are tasked with slaying powerful undead that typical Columvirites have difficulty with. They are based just outside Eriabor. Montarchs are Columvirite clergy who specialize in the consecration of burial sites, remembering different funerary customs and grief counseling. Montarchs espouse the need to treat any dead body with respect regardless of their station in life. They are not the ones to judge the individual that is left to Kelvor. They have access to a specific type of blessed spell that turns undead from a grave. The spell also prevents a corpse within the grave from being made into an undead servitor for a number of years equal to the Montarch's level. So against the undead are Montarchs that their turn undead functions at a higher level than their actual class level. Montarchs are limited to the use of clubs, hammers, maces, or flails as weapons. They are unable to raise the dead through the usual divine means. Necrobanes are Kalemvarites, who as their name suggests, combat undead in all their forms. 
While necrobanes are filled with a wrathful passion to slay undead, they are still compassionate when helping restless and tortured souls influenced by necromancy. It is hard for them to have such compassion, though, for powerful, sentient undead like liches and vampires. As undead hunters, necrobanes have capabilities that align with their role. They cannot be affected by the paralysis of a ghoul or a ghast. They are also granted a saving throw if afflicted by the level-draining effects of specters, wraiths, and whites. Again, this is a 2nd edition priest variant, so the mechanics reflect that. Necrobanes know immediately the type of undead they see before them. They are also granted the ability to make a wisdom check to identify if an undead is hiding themselves through the use of illusion or other magical means. Necrobanes affect twice the number of undead with their turn undead. Their weapon attack damage is not affected by any resistances any undead might have to them. So great is their hatred that they must slay an undead creature once every ten day or suffer a penalty to a whole host of mechanical abilities. They are disallowed the use of any necromancy spells or magic items infused with or that utilize necromancy either. The Five Souls of the Dead are a band of Kalimvarites based out of Westgate. They are committed to identifying and then taking down the vampire lords of the Night Masks, as it is hard to lure out the cunning vampire lords. Usually they are found dealing with undead underlings and creations like the Deathbringers. Appearance and Dress The following details on ceremonial dress were taken from 2nd edition, when there was more than just the cleric available as a priest option. Carrying these descriptions forward into the present-day realms, with the 5th edition rule set in mind, I probably just combined the differing elements to some degree. The Calumvirite ceremonial dress for clerics features smoky gray robes and cowled cloaks. Calumvirite specialty priests had more differing aspects to their dress compared to clerics. They wore a silver headband, which they almost always kept upon their head. The specialty priests also had a prominent badge of Kalamvor's symbol on the chest of their robes. The metal that made up the balancing scales on the badge denoted rank in the clergy. Iron for those at the lower ranks, silver for those of the middling ranks, and gold for the highest ranks. Specialty priests also wear different robes of a different color, though just as muted in color and display. The color denotes the rank of the specialty priest. Green for the lowest level, blue in the middle, and gray are reserved for those at the top. When adventuring, Clemvarites wear enchanted gray domino masks. If you're unfamiliar with that term, just imagine the small type of mask that Robin from the Batman comics wears. These masks are gifted with the ability to detect undead and see with infravision out to a range of 60 feet. Again, this information was taken from 2nd edition, so that could easily be changed to dark vision. Clergy are expected to dress practically and wear the armor and clothing required for their task. They must always openly display the respective symbol of Kalimvor. Most wear the symbol over the left side of their chest, or have it stitched or placed onto their cloak. Montarchs wear dark blue and light gray robes. They wear silver circlets. While they are allowed to carry weapons, they are trained to keep their weapons hidden, 
underneath their cloaks so as to not unnerve the grief-stricken. Necrobanes are warrior clergy, so they may wield any weapon or armor necessary. They wear black cloaks, silver circlets, and their holy symbol is displayed openly hanging from a chain around their neck. Rituals Columbrite clergy pray and meditate on their spells at sunset. Most of their rites bless souls in their transition into the afterlife. The passing is a small ritual a columbrite conducts after a person takes their last breath. This ritual serves to alert Calumbor to the identity of the individual who just passed through a chanted hymn. The Lament of the Fallen is a ritual carried out by a few or more Calumvirites in an area where a battle took place or a plague has struck hard. During this ritual, the Calumvirites beat staffs made of ash wood on the ground rhythmically, while they accompany the rhythm with droning chants. The remembrance is a daily ritual that occurs each morning. This ritual takes place by gravesites. It involves both song and prayer, and relatives of the deceased often attend. The Deum occurs after the sun sets. The Deum is a columbrate ceremony carried out to reinforce the calm doctrine and acknowledge and distribute the goods and coins the faith have come into the possession of from those who have died without an heir. Missions and tasks are also handed out by senior clergy of Kelvinborn at the end of the Deum. Only the faithful may attend the Deum. This ritual is also referred to as thanks to the guide. The faith has two holy days. The first is held annually on the Feast of the Moon seasonal holiday that lands between the months of Uktar and Nightal. The second is held every four years on the leap year holiday known as Shield Meat. Shield Meat is held after midsummer between the months of Flame Rule and Aelent. On both holy days, the clergy remember the dead by telling their stories so that they are never forgotten. In rare circumstances, a high-level cleric may cast true resurrection on either of these days. Their intent is to bring back a hero of old to help attend to some great evil in the present. During both these holy days, columbrite clergy who cast speak with dead may have full-fledged conversations with the target of the spell. Still, the target may still refuse to engage whatsoever. Columbrites bury the faithful dead in the ground. The individuals wrapped in muslin or used clothing sewn together to form a shroud. Within the wraps of the shroud are placed symbols of Kelvinvor toward against necromancy. In areas afflicted with disease, the faithful are placed in a collective, large wrapped shroud. Together in the shroud, they are placed upon a funerary pyre as soon as possible and burned. General Characteristics of Places of Worship Many of the first Calumvirite temples were former temples built in veneration of Mercule. The architecture and decorative elements of these temples did not give it a soothing atmosphere as the Calumvirites would have liked. A lot of bone and skull motifs and decoration were found throughout. Not to mention the chambers within that once housed evil rites and practices. Given more than a century has passed since Kelvinvor took up the mantle as Lord of the Dead, much likely has been done to refurbish these former temples. Or perhaps there are some taints of evil so deep that the Kelvinvorites have sealed them up forever. And who knows what happened in such places once Mercule reemerged with the second sundering. 
specific places of worship. The keep of the Knights of the Eternal Order is found just outside of Iriabor. The small keep is capable of housing the 35 members of this order, plus attending staff, though roughly half the members of the order are out adventuring or on quests for the order at any given time. The first major center of worship for the Columvirite faith is found in Ormath within the Villon Reach. Here is found the Tower of Skulls. It is a ziggurat that houses at a Columvirite Abbey. The stone walls facing outward are carved into the shape of human skulls. Within, the tower is guarded by patrolling spectral creatures that aren't necessarily will-o'-wisps, but are similar in appearance. Accursed, that's C-U-R-S-T, is a humanoid curse to never-unending undeath. Is said to often come here in the hopes that Kalemvor releases them from their state. Deep cellars grant access to an underground river and caverns where edible fungi are harvested and grown. Using this fungi, the resident clergy make perfumes, unguents, and potions that they can sell. On the shores of the Lake of Steam is the settlement of Tolman. Here can be found the Skull Spire. This temple formerly was a temple dedicated to Mercule and Syric before readily taking up the worship of Kelmvor. The Skull Spire itself is a tall, slender black tower. The temple borders on an area known as the Crypt City, just to the west of Talman. The Crypt City is a ruined area of some settlement from some unnamed civilization. The Skull Spire has tunnels that run underground and connect with the Crypt City. Formerly, the clergy have experimented on the undead remains of creatures found within the Crypt City. More often than not, their work would find its way back out through the tunnels. With Kelmvor now as their patron deity, the resident clergy have turned now to slaying these former undead experiments. It is thought that the resident clergy are provided with coin by secret organizations wishing to have their meetings with the undead haunted Crypt City. While still rumors, most have long thought this to be true despite any proof coming to light. In the Lapolian city of Sherlantar, Kelmvor is a civic deity. It is known as the Tomb City. The wealthy and powerful of Lapalia interred their dead here and had done so for many centuries, as I just recently came to discover had been reduced to ruin in the Spell Plague. So you'd likely be finding this city in ruins. Formerly, Mercule was a civic deity, but as in many locations, there was a transfer over to Calamvor's worship. The ruler of Sherlantar was known as the Keeper of Crypts. They were almost always the senior-ranking clergy member resident in the city. The true Temple of the Dead is a Clemvorite temple in Raven's Bluff, a temple of black marble that rose up and out of the ground of the Raven's Bluff graveyard rather than be constructed by normal means. When the body of a deceased deputy mayor was brought to the graveyard, this temple rose up out of the ground. Stepping out from the temple doors was the priest of Kelimvor, who had spoken earlier at the deputy mayor's funeral. At that moment, one minor death emerged from the marble wall, and another sprung up and out of the ground and stood beside the priest. The priest announced these minor deaths to be the guardians of the true temple of dead. In the crypt ward of Kelimport is the Sahalarka. This three-story building houses the fellowship Nakar. 
This fellowship includes the undertakers and managers of the crypt boards, various interment and funerary services. Beneath the main cellar of the Sahalarka is a shrine to the god of death. Those who worship here are faithful Kalamvarites, but so old is this shrine that it features elements that speak to the worship of Jurgle. In the crypt ward of Kalamport, we find yet another Kalamvarite place of worship. The Darkness Passing once was a former temple to Mercule. When the faithful there worshipped Mercule, it was known as Reaper Scythe Hall. This temple would be over nine centuries old in the present-day realms. Upon taking Kalamvor up as the current Lord of the Dead, a shining crystalline glazed minaret was erected. Though not overtly stated, I take this as imitation of Kalamvor's own crystal spire. Staying in Kalamshan, off its southern shore, right near the mouth of the River of Ice, is the Isle of Memory. This island is known as one of three necropolises of Nakar, and it is the only one that is still active. In the distant past of Koramshan and Kalamshan, bodies were brought to these necropolises to be prepared and interred. Here the necropar, or clerics of the dead, attended to this duty. Currently presiding over the Isle of Memory, at least as recorded in 3rd edition, is a cleric of Kelmvor. Upon the island is an edifice known as the Seven Skull Tower. Within is a library of the dead, where the names of those buried at Kalam Sea and all the other necropolises are listed. The head cleric has also prepared a list of desecrations, undead reanimation, and tomb robberies at each of these locations. This head cleric often hires on adventuring bands to attend to restless dead in one of the necropolises of Nakar. If you'll allow me to speculate and go off on a minor tangent. Since these locations clearly have connections in the long distant past, and at least the shrine beneath the Sahalarka is said to have been a former shrine to, to Jurgel, I wonder if Nakar may have been Jurgel's name in this region of the world all those years ago. In ancient Netheril, Jurgel went by the name Nakasir. Kalmshan is a region of the realms I have only a passing familiarity with. For all I know, Nakar was the name of a ruler all those years ago. But please, if anyone does know, let me know. I like learning these things about Faerunian history as I go about my own research. If you remember in my episode on Mercule, I mentioned a location known as Skullcrag. Skullcrag, one of the Stormhorn Mountains, bore a prominent shrine to Mercule. The natural marble here has been shaped and worked to resemble a large skull that is a fixture from a small community. This was a pilgrimage site for Mercolites before the Time of Troubles. When researching for this episode, I came across mention of Skullcrag in the 4th edition Forgotten Realms campaign guide. This book mentions that the shrine has since been converted to the worship of Kelnvor though Kelvor has made no sign that he attends to the prayers of those worshipping here. Character Options For 2nd edition, the Doom Guide Specialty Priest can be found in Face and Avatars. The Montark and Necrobane's Priest variants can be found in Warrior and Priest of the Realms. For 3rd edition, the Doom Guide Prestige class can be found in Face and Pantheons. 
Knight of the Eternal Order substitution levels for the Paladin class can be found in Champions of Valor. For 4th edition, in the Forgotten Realms Player's Guide, you can find the Doom Guide Paragon Path, the True Death Utility Power for Chosen of Kalimvor, and the Channel Divinity Feat Power named Kalimvor's Judgment. The following is a breakdown of the features that I think someone deeply involved in Kalimvor's faith as an acolyte or otherwise would have for their background in 5th edition. For your two skill proficiencies, Religion and Medicine. For language or tool proficiencies, Herbalism Kit along with one language of your choice. For your equipment, there's the Acolytes from the Player's Handbook. And for your feature, there's also the Shelter of the Faithful from the Acolyte background in the Player's Handbook as well. Next is a list of subclasses I think would be thematically appropriate for a PC to take if they are a worshipper of Kelimvor. For the Barbarian, there's the Path of the Ancestral Guardian from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Bard, there's the College of Spirits from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. For the Cleric, there's the Death Domain from the Dungeon Master's Guide and Grave Domain from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Monk, there's a Way of Mercy Monk from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. For the Paladin, there's both the Oath of Devotion and Oath of Vengeance from the Player's Handbook. For the Ranger, there's the Gloomstalker and Monster Slayer, both from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Rogue, there's the Phantom Rogue from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Finally, for the Sorcerer, there's the Divine Soul and Shadow Sorcerer, both from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Dungeon Master Options This is a list of creatures and humanoids available in 5th edition sources that I think would serve directly or indirectly Kalimvor and his faith. For the Monster Manual, there's the Acolyte, Ghost, and Priest. From Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, there's the Hollow Dragon. From Curse of Strahd, there's the Phantom Warrior. Then from Volo's Guide to Monsters, there's the War Priest. The War Priest can also be found in Morgheinen Presents Monsters of the Multiverse. I'd like to describe next two monsters associated with Kalimvor that have yet to be put in 5th edition sources. A minor death appears much like the Grim Reaper, a skeletal being swathed in a black cloak wielding a deadly scythe. They cannot be disarmed from their size, and are immune to some elemental types of damage and enchantment magics. Higher level specialty priests are capable of summoning minor deaths, but they only may do so once per 10 day. Should a minor death not kill the opponent it was summoned to help take down, the respective Kalimvrite must burn a thousand gold pieces of special incense upon a consecrated Kalimvrite altar. Otherwise, they are incapable of summoning a minor death. Statistics and further details on minor deaths can be found in 2nd edition's Faiths and Avatars and the Ruins of Zental Keep box set. Watch ghosts, which are sometimes called unsleeping guardians, are incorporeal, intelligent, undead creatures. Their limbs look to be covered in pale white flesh, but their torsos and lower bodies instead have a skeletal appearance. Their eyes are always black, empty pits. Due to the method of their creation, they are immune to turn undead. They can lash out with a cold beam attack and a chilling melee touch attack. Another unique ability to the Watch Ghost 
is the ability to make a bright aura appear around the opponent's magic items. The intention behind this ability is to attract any surrounding monsters and creatures toward the opponent. Watch ghosts are created to serve as the guardians to watch over tombs, keeps, and the like. They are usually created by evil clerics, evil wizards, or undead lords and ladies through a 8th level spell called Create Watch Ghost. A successful casting of the spell over a corpse will manifest a watch ghost with the intelligence of the being who was once alive. The watch ghost, while intelligent, is bound to fulfill the commands of the caster who created them. Their statistics and breakdown can be found in the second edition box set, The Ruins of Undermountain. Let's discuss a couple specific columbrite magic items. The Testament of Rare is a holy columbrite tome discussed in second edition's Prayers from the Faithful. Unlike a lot of the holy texts in this book, the testament actually is in the form of a traditional book. Though its dimensions are far from normal, a foot across in width and a height of two feet, the covers are wrapped in unusually thick black rothe leather that looks quite worn. The testament's spine is a human femur whose bulbous ends have been carved to look like skulls. Within the book are 27 pages. 24 of those pages are normal pieces of parchment, each bearing a single spell. The remaining three spells are glossy black in color and bear an enchanted picture. One is the first page of the book, another is found right in the middle, and the remaining one is the last page. The front page shows the image of a skull, the middle page shows the image of a skeletal human hand, and the last page shows the image of a skeletal tail of some marine or amphibious creature. A black ribbon dangles from the bottom of the middle page, and this ribbon has a row of Calumvor's symbol running down its length. Calumvorites are free to open the Testament of Rare to any page they desire, though non-Calumvorites must open it in a specific order or suffer an ill effect from one of a couple magical wards. If any of the pages before the midpoint are examined, and the proper steps have not been observed, a lesser golem creature called a Necrophidius will appear and attack, and a number of these creatures appear for each of the first half pages examined improperly. If someone does the same but for the pages in the last half of the book, six crawling hands will emerge out of the page itself and try to strangle the reader. That will continue on for every page subsequently and incorrectly examined. The testament is warded so that any casting of a spell upon it or physically attacking the book will cause a chain lightning spell of 9d6 points to lash out at the attacker. The testament of rare is said to still contain hidden abilities, though one known ability is grasping the book while wounded and calling upon Kelmvor. Through the book, Kelmvor will grant the individual with clairvoyance for three rounds. This power can only be activated once every three months per person. The other abilities are hinted at by the writings of Vrare whose name this book bears, though Vrare's questionable sanity calls his writing into question. Vrare is thought to have been Calumvor's first devout follower. This former priest of Mercule is said to have had his mind damaged by the ascension of Calumvor to Lord of the Dead in 1368 Dale Reckoning. Yet Vrare would go on to write the testament. 
Whatever magical secrets within it remain shrouded in mystery after Vrere perished in 1370, after he attempted to duel colony of beholders. There are a few more details about the testament that could be mentioned, but I will just say that it has a dark reputation. There is a lesser testament of Vrere. Its description is very similar to that of the initial testament of Vrere discussed earlier. Some differences are that the text on the inside is written in Shondathan by the trained hand of a calligrapher. On the first page, where the image of the skull is displayed, is written the following words, quote, A derivation of the important sections of the cursed tome, the Testament of Vrere, which should not be handled except with extreme care. That tome and this belong to Kelimvor, Lord of the Dead. End quote. The cover of the book also looks quite new in comparison. The book gives off a moderate aura of necromancy. The Lesser Testament was penned by a Clemverite cleric from Baldur's Gate. This cleric managed to come into the possession of the original Testament of Vrare in 1371 and deduced much about it. When this cleric was done with the original, he made no effort to document where he last placed it, and its current whereabouts remain unknown though it is thought he may have given it over to other high-ranking columbarites to either hide away or destroy. The cleric purposely made the Lesser Testament to look as much like a copy of the original. The words within are worded differently as well. Anyone who can read Chondathan can read the title of each spell on each page. However, the words below are in a blur. The only way to reveal them is through a use of Turn Undead, that would affect undead with five or more hit dice. Any use of rebuke undead would cause the words to go blurry or not affect the words if they were already blurry to begin with. The Clemverite priest worded the book in such a way to ensure that non-evil clerics could gain access to its contents. The last recorded sighting of the Lesser Testament of Vrare was in the possession of a Halruan thief in Baldur's Gate in 1371 Dale Reckoning. You can find the information from a linked 3rd edition era web article in the episode description that has since been archived. While it serves as an example of unholy magic items being transformed to the service of good, 3rd edition's Champions of Valor describes Doom Warden Bracers. These bracers were transformed by the face of Kelmvor and Torm working together. There are plus three bracers crafted out of silver-plated bones of a good dragon adorned with onyx tiles to look like dragon scales. The bracers grant daily use of a few divine spells while hindering evil creatures who wear them. An ashen staff of inevitability is crafted out of petrified ashy gray wood. Kelimvor let his followers know how to create these staffs not long after he truly understood his role as Lord of the Dead. The Ashen Staff will begin to drone within 20 feet of a Faithless, those without a patron deity. Should a Faithless be struck with an Ashen Staff, they witness a vision of their soul stuck in the wall of the Faithless, if they fail the respective save, that is. Kalemvarites are to advise any Faithless that these staffs identify. Aside from those magic qualities, each staff is a plus one Ghost Touch Quarterstaff. Only Kalemvarites may wield an Ashen Staff of Inevitability. The specifics for this item can be found in Dragon Issue 333. 
Rounding out this Dungeon Master section of the podcast, the following are some thematically appropriate magic items from official 5th edition sources I feel the faith of Kalimvor may have access to. From the Dungeon Master's Guide, Armor of Necrotic Resistance, Armor of Poison Resistance, Holy Avenger, Mace of Disruption, Periapt of Health, Periapt of Proof Against Poison, Pipes of Haunting, Potion of Necrotic Resistance, Potion of Poison Resistance, Potion of Vitality, Ring of Necrotic Resistance, Ring of Poison Resistance, Rod of Resurrection, Scroll of Protection from Undead, and Staff of Healing. From Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Plus One to Plus Three Amulet of the Devout, Ghost Step Tattoo, Guardian Emblem, Necrotic Absorbing Tattoo, and Poison Absorbing Tattoo. Then from Waterdeep, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, there's the Pearl of Undead Detection. Alright, thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. If you are interested in keeping up with the release of future episodes, you can follow the podcast Twitter account at Realms Religion. These episodes are also uploaded to YouTube as well. Audio versions of the podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Podcasts. In the next episode, I will be covering Tolona, the chaotic evil goddess of disease and poison. Until next time, may Timora look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode, Veratutis Instrumenti, by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0.